This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. We gather together the most dysfunctional of families and we try to make everybody behave for that one day. Even Uncle Jack, okay? We've all got that one uncle or aunt, don't we? We put undue pressure on everyone, including ourselves, to get everything just perfect. And suddenly, Martha Stewart and Rachel Ray, they get idle status as we try to make it just like they are telling us it needs to be done. Today, Pastor David examines the words of a popular Christmas carol written during simpler times, describing this time of year as the happiest season of all. And we question, as we hear the lyrics, where all the happy went. Well, times haven't changed since the blessed birth of Christ. It's a familiar story and reality for us now as we find ourselves consumed by the urgent things in life instead of the important things. Let's remember the real reason for the season. Find our happiness in the gift of Christ. Now, here's Pastor David in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1, with part one of our message entitled, The Most Wonderful Time. It was about 50 years ago that a couple of staff writers for a popular television program got together to write a song for the season. Now, these guys, as they wrote that song, didn't think quite what the future would be for it, but they wanted to write a song that would be a catchy little tune that people would remember for a while. And as a matter of fact, from a song that was written about 50 years ago, not one of the oldest Christmas songs by any stretch of the imagination, but it became very popular. As a matter of fact, back in 2010, that's the latest results I could get. It was actually number five on the playlist of all the Christmas songs in 2010. Well, as these guys wrote it, they wrote it for the star of that particular television show, a fellow that some of you remember by the name of Andy Williams. It's before my time. I don't remember him. My my (laughs) parents used to. The song was this. It's the most wonderful time of the year. With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap, happiest season of all. With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings, when friends come to call, it's the hap, hap, happiest season of all. I wonder how true that really is. In the lives of so many people today, As a matter of fact, it doesn't take very much for you and I to stop and pause and consider all that's going on in the world. Have you seen the traffic in the malls lately? Did you hear the reports this last week of the guy that got stabbed while waiting in line to be able to get into a store to purchase an item for Christmas? Do you realize how much money you actually spend on that one meal? Do you realize how much debt people go into? to provide just the perfect Christmas present? It's amazing how much effort we put into that one day a year. And I mean, really, we come together, we gather together the most dysfunctional of families, and we try to make everybody behave for that one day. (laughs) Even Uncle Jack, okay? We've all got that one uncle or aunt, don't we? 
We put undue pressure on everyone, including ourselves, to get everything just perfect. And suddenly, Martha Stewart and Rachel Ray, they get idle status as we try to make it just like they are telling us it needs to be done. All the servers for the uh, website Pinterest are overloaded and crashing, and people can't download little special holiday ornaments and styles and designs that they had saved to use at this particular time. Stores like Target and Michael's, they're overrun with Christmas fanatics. It's the most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) Oh, be of good cheer. Get out of my way. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Hey, I saw that first, and it's the last one. Be of good cheer. Okay, yeah, we could put it on the credit card. We'll pay it for the next five years, but at least we'll get it this year. Do you think that maybe that song is so popular because a lot of people, to them, it represents the ideal of what they feel that Christmas is about. And so they strive and they stress to try and make sure that their family Christmas celebration is the ideal one. They hope and they pray that on that evening of December 25th, after the presents have been opened, after the meal has been eaten, that the family and friends will all rise up and they'll say, you know what, that was the best Christmas ever. I've just got one thing to say about that. You and I as believers... We need to stop the madness. We need to realize, and not only realize it intellectually, but realize it in actuality and in practicality, that we're making it something that it never, ever was intended to be. Now, I'm all for celebration. I love celebrations. We're going to have a Christmas tree at our house. I'm sorry if that offends anybody, but we don't bow down to it or anything. It's part of our celebration. We're going to have a dinner at our homes. We're going to have family come in. But that's not the focus of what all of this is about. Our Advent candle this morning talked about that time of preparation. Preparations for Christmas celebrations, but more than anything, the preparation of our own hearts to receive the Christ child. And it's interesting as we look through the years how the preparations for Christmas celebrations and the preparation for receiving the Christ child, they're getting further and further separated for most people in our culture. Today, in our mostly secular culture, the world hustles and bustles all about through the streets, through all of the stores, with absolutely no idea of what it really means. They've missed totally why we have a special day of celebration on December 25th. Now, again, as I shared with you last week, I understand that Christ probably wasn't born on December 25th, but it doesn't bum me out. It's a day that we've chosen to celebrate the birth of our Savior. The world, though, has no idea what it meant to be in Bethlehem that night. Or maybe they do. Maybe they do realize what it is, but they haven't connected all the dots. Maybe the business or the busyness that we've allowed ourselves to get into really isn't too far from what was going on on that night so long ago when Christ was born. 
The thing is, most of the people in Bethlehem, they missed the wonder of that day because they too were so busy making preparations of one sort or another. I want you to take, if you would, your Bibles, turn to the Gospel according to Luke. In Luke chapter 2, the most popular, the most read portion of the Christmas story, the most well-known, the passage here in Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin at the very first verse. And Luke writes, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And just a little side note, you know this registration had to deal with not only the size of his kingdom, but it dealt a whole lot with the taxation of his kingdom. Okay. Now this census took place first while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Verse 3 tells us that everyone had to go back to their own city, the city of their family heritage. They're going back to their roots. We actually do see that this time of year, don't we? We see a lot of people going back to their own city, people going, quote-unquote, home. They go back to where grandma and grandpa are. They go back to where mom and dad are. Our daughter and our grandchildren from Connecticut are going to be coming in in a couple of weeks from Connecticut to here. Who wouldn't do that, right? Our son is not quite so smart. My son and daughter-in-law and their kids, they're going from Southern California to Wisconsin to her parents for Christmas. Everyone back to his own city. That happens all across the nation. So busy, so much traveling, so much back and forth. The traffic during this time of year is horrendous here, and it was then also. They didn't have the jets. They didn't have the cars. They didn't have the highways, but still the traffic on the main roads of travel. It just had to be horrendous. A great multitude of people going over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house they go. Travel even back then, though, was expensive. Whatever you couldn't carry, you had to purchase along the way. And the government really didn't care much about the expenses that you incurred. You had to do what they had commanded. This was a decree, not from somebody local. No, this was a decree that came from Caesar himself, Caesar Augustus. You had to conform to the expectation of the government. And I'm not sure if we could even begin to imagine all the chaos that was all around Bethlehem during that time. There were multitudes of people throughout that area that had traveled from all over Israel to come back to the land of family and their ancestors. Now, they say that the normal population of Jerusalem in that first century time frame, according to Josephus, a historian of the time, was as much as 80,000 people living in and around Jerusalem at that time in the first century. According to another Roman historian, 
Tacitus, during certain religious holidays and certain feast days, the population of Jerusalem and all the surrounding area could be estimated as high as 600,000. It's kind of the difference of Casa Grande during the summer versus during the winter. Okay, Josephus, again, estimated that there were at times as many as 1.1 million people in that area. Now, we get busy here, don't we, during the wintertime, trying to get in and out of the stores and down the roads. It just, it just gets busy. Can you imagine you're in an area, you're in a, a population center of about 80,000 people, and suddenly there's 600,000 people, or suddenly there is a million people? Can you imagine the chaos that's all around during that time? Bethlehem was a small town, about five miles to the south and to the west of Jerusalem. So they got a lot of the spillover from Jerusalem, as well as people that had to go back to Bethlehem itself, Bethlehem, the city of David. So the descendants of David, as well as the descendants of others who had lived in Bethlehem, the families that were coming down. So again, the crowds, the multitude of people, all that was going on, even the overflow from the big city. So you get all of those people. And the question I had to ask myself is, where do all those people eat? I mean, the fact is, is there was no Cracker Barrel in Bethlehem, okay? There was no Chick-fil-A. There was no McDonald's. And where do all those people sleep? There was no Holiday Inn. There was no Comfort Inn. There was no La Quinta. There might have been a Ritz-Carlton, but that was up in Jerusalem. Not in Bethlehem, though. And as the people began to pour into that area, they would first of all find those spots that were common lodging areas, the local inns. And for most individuals that had the individual homes, if they were going to use it as an inn, it would be a place of safety where you could stable your animal for a season. But the living conditions primarily was that there was a large courtyard in the front if you had that capability. It would be a fenced-in courtyard with a secure gate. So if you're traveling and stopped at that particular inn, the accommodations there wouldn't be a king-size sleep comfort bed. No, it would be in my front yard area, inside the gated area, you can sleep on the ground over here. That'll be your spot. Not the best of accommodations for any of them. But as they came into that area, again, looking for sleeping quarters, some of the homes might have an extra room, but that room would probably be filled in with family that was coming in. And some, for many of them, they slept on the roof anyway. That was their sleeping quarters. Even during that time of year, you just had to throw an extra blanket, an extra covering on. Some might open up their homes for simple hospitality's sake. But others of them knew that there was probably a shekel or two that could be made by opening up their homes. But for Joseph and Mary, as we read the story here, they were about to have a child. And what does it say? The days were completed for her to be delivered. And yet for them, the hospitality of the little town of Bethlehem was pretty lacking. She laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The world was so busy during that most wonderful time of the year that they didn't even have room for the Savior. They had no room 
because of the busyness of their lives, because of the hecticness of their lives, because their lives were filled with so much other stuff and things. When we look at the gospel accounts, there's a variety of ways that each one of the gospel writers speak of this time of life. Matthew gives us, in essence, the genealogy of Joseph, and then it goes into Joseph's story and how Joseph was spoken to by an angel because after he had found out that Mary was pregnant, he had mind to go ahead and release her from their marriage agreement because he knew it wasn't his child. And so an angel came and told Joseph not to be troubled, not to be worried, but to take Mary as his wife. And the angel said, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph did as the angel commanded, and he took Mary to be his wife. In Mark's account, though, we start actually right in with the ministry of John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. So we don't even have a nativity narrative in Mark at all. And Luke, what we're looking at this morning, and then the fourth opportunity we have is actually in the Gospel of John. And John does give us a nativity narrative. I don't know if you really recognize that or not, but John gives us probably the best nativity narrative narrative because he begins at the beginning. Turn there with me, if you would, in John chapter 1. Very familiar verses to so many. John writes in chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life, and the life was the light of men. There's so much that's packed in those verses. He says in verse 5, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There's so much there that we could spend a season of time in each one of these. We know because we know the context of what he's writing here. We know that a little bit later when he speaks about the word, he's speaking about Jesus Christ himself. And he says there that in the beginning was the word. Now, you and I think of beginnings, and we think of a particular point of time. But you need to realize that, again, in God's time frame, when they say in the beginning, no, that just means eternity past. In eternity past, which means there was no real start for it, but in eternity past, the word was with God, and the word was God. These verses speak about the eternality of Jesus. And it speaks about not only encompassing all of eternity past, but also the preparations for all of eternity future is what we're speaking about here. And when we speak of not only the eternality of Jesus, we also speak of the deity of Jesus. The Word was not only with God, but the Word was God. And right here we have probably one of the best declarations within God's Word of the deity of Jesus because a little bit further down as we continue, we know what verse 14, we'll look at that again in a minute, but it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And as 
John continues on, we know that he's speaking about Jesus. But the thing I want us to look back here on is the creative force. Look back in verse 3. He says, all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. There's a multitude of verses all throughout the Word of God that speak of Jesus Christ creating all things. He is the creative force of God. In the beginning, we read there that God and that plurality of God, God speaking, let us make man in our image. Christ himself being that creative force. The book of Colossians in the New Testament tells us that for by him, speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. And you might think, well, does that mean in the heavens like the stars and the planets? And absolutely it does, but it means also much more than that because Paul continues on in that verse when he says, not only has he created all things that are in heaven and are on earth, but he goes on to say, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Do you catch how radical this really is? Or do you come to that point of, oh yeah, I I know Jesus made everything. And suddenly we just move on in life and we miss the majesty of all of that. He created all things. Everything that we see and know was created by Jesus himself for his glory. Now, for me, through the years, as the Lord has pounded that into my head, I've tried to make it a real part of my life. And I'll often say little phrases like, for those of you that like raw fish, they call it sushi. I tell people, you know, that's why God invented fire, okay? It was a created portion of what Jesus did. When I was working as a journeyman electrician and I had apprentices working with me, I would say, that's why Jesus invented apprentices, so that you could carry that for me. <laughs> the very creative force of God in all things. And I find it amazing that it's Jesus the creator of all things, who came as a flesh and blood baby, who grew into manhood, who suffered the inhumanity of man in order to redeem mankind from their own sin and restore us back to the relationship that we were created for. The very one who created us took upon himself become that child, to grow into that man, to make redemption possible. And he did that by choice. He did it his choice. And John tells us here in chapter 1, a little further down in verses 10 and 11, it says that he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He came And they missed him. He came and revealed himself. God revealed in human flesh, and they missed him. 
I believe because they were so distracted by the busyness of the world. They were distracted by their own sinfulness. They were distracted by their own selfishness. They were distracted because of their lack of ability to be able to focus on the important things in life because they were so consumed by the urgent things of life. So involved with what's right directly in front of their faces that they couldn't see eternity that was standing before them also. How easy that is for us to get that way. I had the honor of doing a funeral service yesterday for a woman that I did not know. The reason I did it is because one of our winter visitors knew the woman. She had passed away. They asked me to do the service. A very small group, probably smaller than even this section here in the fellowship that came to the funeral. On behalf of Pastor David Landry and the entire production team here at The Open Word, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This has been a special edition of The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to the Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. And again, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.